I'm really thankful for how uh, Stanley um, opened this morning and also Kelly Jo, just what she shared. It's always so amazing how the Holy Spirit weaves together a Sunday and, and the message and just things that are just the worship experience. I, and I always get really excited on those days because it's just such a sense that, oh, we're all hearing from the Holy Spirit. We're all in tune and we're all just uh, worshiping and, and praising God together. So it's really encouraging to me. Um, we, a few weeks ago, or yeah, we had a, a Wednesday night worship service and we, we were singing, just trusting God for all things new. Uh, we had a, the Freedom Seminar, which is um, just this weekend. It's a, it's a six-week discipleship experience that we go through, and we finish it with a, a kind of a weekend morning where we just pray for one another. And it's just such an encouraging time where it, it just feels like, ah, all things are being made new. It's like we got a fresh start. Something new is coming. God is doing something new. And then, of course, last week we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, where, again, we're celebrating God is, has resurrection life. God is giving us resurrection life at the cross. We, we celebrate that Isaiah 53, like he was um, pierced for our transgressions. His, the punishment that he took brought us peace. Um, he bore our suffering. He was crushed for our iniquity, iniquities and he was wounded that we could be healed. And so we celebrate all these beautiful, beautiful aspects and components of the kingdom. And yet here we are, right? And yet we wake up on Sundays or we wake up during the week and I get out of bed and the alarm still rings and you're like, ah, ah. And I look at myself and I'm like, ah, there's still rings under my eyes and my body aches and, and I roll over and, and guess what? There's Aaron. He's not here to defend himself, but he still looks the same too. <laughs> and so here we are, you know, just living life and just trying to get through the day. And my kids still left dishes in the sink and my dog still left mud all over the floor and trees are still falling over in the backyard and all of the things. And then the bigger things of the world rush up. Uh, Ukraine, America, there are still principalities and powers. And then all of a sudden you're like, where's the resurrected life? <laughs> where's the resurrected life? And so I want to speak about that today. I want to speak about living a resurrected life in an unresurrected world, right? And that's kind of what um, we've been talking about already today, what the Spirit's already been doing in us this morning. Jesus said to his disciples and says to us now, Go and announce that the kingdom is near. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so there's this idea that the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. Over and over we see it when, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples. Um, one day the Pharisees asked Jesus about the kingdom. How are we going to know when the kingdom is here? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. And then Jesus had us, when he taught us the Lord's prayer, he said, he said let me teach you the prayer. And part of it is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So living this resurrected life is living a life of faith, living in the tension 
of the kingdom of, of God is here and the kingdom of God is coming. Faith says Jesus' work at the cross is sufficient. I'm clothed in robes of righteousness. I can come before the throne of God boldly. And at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be transformed. There's a lot of renewing of my mind that needs to happen. Faith is living in the both and. It's one of my friend's favorite words. It just feels like a lot of both and. Faith is living in this world of paradox. Paul to the Ephesians speaks about a time when we're all going to come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Ephesians 4 says we'll be growing in every way more and more like Christ. And yet, when I look at myself, and frankly, when I look at you all too, <laughs> I can see that we all have a long way to go, right? And growing to that place of full maturity, that place of being one and in unity. It's like, wow, Lord, how does this work? How does this work? It's a little bit like Father Abraham. Remember in the Old Testament, the father of our faith, we call him the Father Abraham. Hebrews 11 says this about it. I'm reading the message version. By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. <laughs> this is faith. By an act of faith, he lived in the country promised him, lived as a stranger camping in tents. Do you not sometimes feel at work, feel at school, feel in your neighborhood like, I am a stranger in this land? Abraham did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real eternal foundations. The city designed and built by God. That's how he did it. And this is what we do every day. We live believing in the promise of this kingdom of heaven, even though we feel like strangers in this land. We keep our eyes on an unseen city and with eternal foundations. Yes, as Christians, we're peculiar that way. <laughs> I love the Narnia Chronicles, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And I reference it all, all the time. So you guys are familiar with that. But if you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia, real quick, it's, the, it's a series of allegories by C.S. Lewis that are metaphorical about a battle between evil and good, an evil witch and this good King Aslan. And it's such a picture of the kingdom of heaven in a beautiful story. And they're easy to read. You can read them in an afternoon if you're a quick reader. I mean, they're that easy, but they have profound deep truths but here's the thing. It starts off with these kids who are living in war-torn London, and they have to be um, shipped out of town because um, of the blitz that's coming and the bombing in London. So these kids have to leave their town, head out into the countryside, live with people that they don't know in foreign and strange circumstances, eat strange food. And it's there in that difficult circumstance that this wardrobe is opened up into an unseen realm, an unseen city. And they get to go into the spiritual realm. They get to go into the kingdom of heaven and they get to see the kingdom from a different perspective. 
And I think that's what God wants to do with us. We live in this world, and yet God wants to open our eyes to the kingdom of heaven. And isn't it interesting that C.S. Lewis uses children to get them into that kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said that in Matthew 18, 3, right? He said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's something about childlike wonder. There's something about dependency and trust and following into places we don't know or things we don't see. There, there's something about that dependency and trust that children have that God wants us to have in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. How do we do this? What does it mean to live a resurrected life in an unresurrected world? I want to talk about the time in the Bible when God promised people life in the midst of hardships. And then, took, and then I want to look specifically at Daniel. Daniel was a prophet. He wrote a whole book in the Bible that you could go and read. The first six chapters are six stories of of radical obedience and trust by Daniel and his companions. And the next um, four sections are of visions and of amazing things from this, this, this big bird's eye perspective. I love what um, Eugene Peterson says about the book of Daniel. Let me find that quote. I've gone off my notes a little bit. I'll tell you in a minute when I get to those notes. <laughs> But the thing is, Daniel came at a time when God's people were in exile. I got off my notes, so I got to go back. Daniel was a, um, the prophet Jeremiah spoke to, spoke to Daniel and his people about what was going to happen, what they were going to experience. God is so faithful like that to tell us. But I want tell prepare us for what we're going to experience. But I want to look specifically at Daniel and how he grounded himself and guarded himself, even in the midst of hardship. And he still prospered, even though he was tested, and even though it was hard. So there's a super popular Christian Bible verse that we all like to say. It's Jeremiah 29 11. You can find it at Hobby Lobby, I'm sure on about 12 different plaques, <laughs> or bumper stickers or t-shirts, right? <laughs> And this is what it says. It says, for I know I have the plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And now you all say it with me because I know you know it. Plans to give you hope and a future. Thank you. I knew you knew it. <laughs> when we say that verse, do we remember the context in which it was said? Does anybody know the context? I'm always reminding people, don't forget the context. Don't forget the rest of the chapter <laughs> because it's huge. <laughs> it's Jeremiah's, it's God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah when his God's people are going for 70 years into exile into Babylon. They're going to a foreign place, foreign foods, foreign gods, foreign ways of living, not easy, not comfortable, not what they wanted. So they're sent off to this place, Babylon, led by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And this is Jeremiah's letter. We're starting in 29 verse 4. 
This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes, plan to stay. Plant gardens, eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it for its welfare will determine your welfare. Wow. God is sending them into Babylon to bless Babylon. Can you even imagine going to the place that you consider to be your enemy and going and praying for that place and living and thriving and marrying and having celebrations and living life in that place? Then the next few verses, he warns them, don't listen to the false prophets. I, didn't, I don't have this up yet. Um, I'm summarizing this next section. <laughs> don't listen to the fortune tellers, the people who are going to predict your future and tell you what should happen next. Don't listen to the, what you're going to hear. Don't let them trick you, Jer Jeremiah says. God says through Jeremiah. But still prosper in that place. Then verse 10, this is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things that I promised and I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Even though God's people are far away from their homeland, even though they seemed as far away from their place of worship as possible, they could still experience the kingdom of heaven. They could still have hope in a future. They could still look for God and find him even in Babylon. So when you wake up, when I wake up in the morning <laughs> with the alarm clock, with disappointing circumstances, with what feels like Groundhog Day, <laughs> When we arrive at our desk, get behind that cash register, arrive at the job site, wherever it is, just remember that you can pray for the welfare of that place. You can pray for God's goodness in that place. And there's a plan for you to prosper and have hope for a future there. The coming of the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The New King James Version says it, the kingdom of God is within you. That's how near God's kingdom is to you, because we have access to the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus within us. We are God's temple. Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is something we access through the Holy Spirit. So let's look a bit at Daniel. We know he knew how to access the kingdom of heaven. When King Nebuchadnezzar went to Judah and took back all these exiles from Judah back to Babylon, he told his army to look for the most handsome, 
the smartest, the most intelligent, the ones of noble birth, the ones who had had it the best and had the best education. He said, I want you to bring them all back to my court because when they get here, I'm gonna teach them my language, our language. I'm gonna teach them our history. We're gonna teach them our ways and they're gonna be, we're gonna, we're gonna have them prepared for my court. So he took the best of the best and Daniel was one of them. Daniel's example in the midst of that experience and the example of his buddies, which we'll get to in a minute, gives us a prophetic image and encouragement for how to obey and trust and how to prosper and hope even when we live in Babylon. When we are in spaces, when we are in spaces of waiting and navigating the kingdom that is here and the kingdom that is coming, the both and tensions of life, we can look to Daniel as well as his, his three companions as, a, as examples of how to obey and trust, prosper, and hope. Ah, here's my Eugene Peterson quote about Daniel. Century after century, Daniel shot adrenaline into the veins of God obedience and put backbone into God trust. I'm like, yes. <laughs> That's what I need. I need adrenaline in my veins and I need a backbone to help me trust in God. And I wanna speak about that today, about just being resolved and resolute like Daniel. He's an example for us. So let's start. We're just gonna highlight a few moments in Daniel 1 verse five, one of the first tests. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then in verse eight, it says this, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to, to defile himself this way. So as Judeans, as people from Judah or Judea, Daniel and his companions, they had a special diet that they ate that distinguished themselves as followers of God, followers of Jehovah. And Daniel was like resolute in this. He's like, I'm going to continue following God in this area even in, in, in what I put in my body. And it was a marker, it was an identity marker that I, I belong to Jehovah. I don't belong to the gods of Babylon. I might be here in this court. I might be learning this language. I might be um, eating the food that you bring me. I might be um, wearing your clothes. I might be learning your history. I might be learning your government. But there are some things that I'm gonna stay set apart. And there, that's that backbone, that's that resolve, that's that determination. Different translations say Daniel was determined. He made up his mind. He purposed in his heart. He had his eyes set on an unseen realm with eternal foundations. He had his eyes set on another kingdom, even though he lived in this kingdom. I love it. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, throughout the book of Daniel, they had the sense that they were set apart, 
that they were, they were in Babylon, but they would be peculiar, set apart. The word is holy. That's what holy means. It means like, I'm not going to be like everyone else. I'm okay to be different. It's hard. It takes backbone. It takes adrenaline, right? But they kept their identity even in another, in another land. So what happened because of that obedience and trust? Verse 17 says, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And in verse 18, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters, those fortune tellers and um, false prophets in his entire kingdom. Daniel set himself apart. He was determined. So were his companions and they prospered even in that situation. We have to be like them, determined, making up our mind, being purposeful and resolved. Remember the last time you really wanted something. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was running a race. Maybe it was um, buying a car. Maybe it was winning the affection of someone, <laughs> right? You've got tunnel vision. That's all you're thinking about. It's all you focus on. You're looking ahead of you, not behind you. Aaron shared that story of the gentleman who um, came to the Freedom Seminar this weekend. I'm just going to repeat it for those maybe listening online. But this man came to the Freedom Seminar and he saw the hearse behind him. And he's driving on the freeway. And the part Aaron didn't say is that in order to get, coming to this Freedom Seminar this weekend is really hard. There's a lot of resistance for people to come and get freedom. And we just hear so many stories, even after the Freedom Seminar, people reaching out to say, I didn't make it, I didn't make it, and I'm so sorry, I'm so sad, or, or just moments of frustration. And it's because the enemy, it's because death is behind them saying, don't go, don't get free, don't enter into the kingdom of heaven. I want to keep you back here. So this man said he got on the freeway in this hearse, he looked in the rear view mirror and saw the hearse behind him. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, that's death behind you. You need to focus and move forward and, and look at life ahead of you. And if you keep looking back, you're going to crash, but I've got life ahead of you. And he made a choice. He told me later, he said, it is so hard for me to get in the car and drive to the Freedom Seminar. He said, it took me six weeks, six weeks of the teaching to say, do I really want this? And he said, after six weeks, it's like I had made up my mind. I do want this. I do want to be free. I do want to enter. I do want to walk into the promised land. I do want to move forward into the future that God has for me and the hope God has for me. But it takes that kind of resolve. It takes that kind of determination to stay focused on what God has for you. I have resolved, I have decided, I'm gonna put my faith in Jesus. There's no turning back. 
I've made up my mind to live a resurrected life. I'm purposeful. I'm resolved to obey and trust in Jesus like a child. I've resolved I'm going to obey and trust in God. So Daniel and his companions, their resolve is tested over and over and over again, just like ours is daily. Even on the freeway, that gentleman was like, am I really going to go? And, and God puts a hearse behind him to say, yes, you're going. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> so I want to look at another component of Daniel's life. We know he carried this resolve. We know he carried this determination. But what else does Daniel do to cultivate, to nurture that childlike faith and trust and obedience in God? In chapter two, something happens <laughs> where um, the king is trying to get everyone, all his wise men, all the people in his court to interpret a dream that he had had and no one can do it. And the king is so mad that no one can help him that he's like, I'm executing, I'm killing all the wise men in my court. Yeah, not very smart to get rid of all of your smartest. Not very smart to listen to your counselors, right? And so Daniel and his companions are included in this execution order. And they're like, what are we going to do? So let's pick up in Daniel 2, chapter, verse 17. Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret, secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Praise the name of God forever and ever, he says, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things. He knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Daniel went to his community. Aaron mentioned this earlier. He went to his community and said, let's pray. Come on, guys. Let's figure this out. Let's get into this together. How are we going to resolve this issue at work? It's an issue at work. Have you ever done that? Have you done that lately? Have you called your friend and said, I, I'm really struggling with something. I need help in this area. We need, we need more provision. We need, we need help with our insurance. We need whatever it is, like things aren't working. Will you pray? Can we pray together? I've done this just recently with someone, with a group of people. And guess what? God answered prayers. God brought insurance. God brought an increase just in the last month. <laughs> So I'm not making this stuff up. God does this when, we, when we're dependent on one another, when we're dependent on God. When we obey and trust, we have prosperity and hope, a future and a hope. 
We have our Ignite Prayer app that we've been encouraging everybody to get together and walk. And I love it in my neighborhood. I'm trying to cover every street and pray over every street. And I love it because someone, I have no idea who, because I don't have any friends who live in that neighborhood, but both of us are just covering our neighborhoods and we're getting closer and closer and closer. And now I'm like, when I walk, I think, are you the one praying? <laughs> Whenever I pass, are you praying? Like, I'll start raising my hands when I pray. <laughs> That'll be our signal, you know? <laughs> but I'm like, the body of Christ is big and we have each other and we can pray together. And how can we obey together if we're not listening together for what God wants to do in our land and among us? And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He didn't just stop with praying. He praised and thanked God and said, you're Lord of the nations. You're King of Kings. You've got all the wisdom and power. You control the course of world events. I mean, how humbling. That's that obedient trust. It's prayer and worship and obedience. Prayer and worship enabled trust and obedience. If you're having a hard time trusting, if you're having a hard time obeying, get in a place of worship. Get in a place of prayer with other people. That'll enable you to walk in obedience and trust. Chapter six. This is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. I'm not gonna tell it all. Go home and read it. But Daniel soon proves himself more capable than all the other administrators and all the high officers. And because of his great ability and wisdom, the king puts him, um, the king makes plans to put him in charge of the entire empire the whole empire. Now we know this king is pretty back and forth. Yesterday he was going to kill him. Today he's going to put him in charge of the empire. But here we go. We're learning from this. Isn't this what it's like at work? One day your boss loves you. The next day you're like, what happened? <laughs> this is real life. In verse four, it says, then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Isn't it interesting that the things that the world sees as rules of religion are actually practices that bring us life? They're like, we're going we're gonna to get him on the, on the things of his religion. We're going we're gonna to get that. And so they make a plot. They can see that Daniel gets his hope and trust from prayer. They can see Daniel's wisdom comes from prayer and his way of life in God. And so they plot. His coworkers say, you cannot petition. They make a law that says you can't petition any God or man except King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you do, you'll be thrown into the lion's den. So when Daniel learns that the law had been signed, what does he do? He went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, the place of worship. Jerusalem represents the place of worship. He went home and knelt down 
as usual in his upstairs room. Daniel had a practice that everyone knew about, of finding a place in God. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking God for help. And they throw him in the lion's den and God rescues him. Go read it, Daniel 6. Here's what I want to highlight. To trust and obey, to prosper and hope, we have to prioritize our interior life, our life before God, our life in worship. He prayed three times a day, just as he always did, giving thanks to God. He protected that. He guarded that. Raylin's going to come up and tell us a story. It looks different for all of us. We might not all have windows that we go to and pray three times a day. There's lots of different ways it looks, but Raylin's going to tell us the story of what it looks like for her. <laughs> she told me the story and I'm like, this is so good. You have to share it. Okay. So I told, I think it was about two months ago, maybe I messaged Aaron and Sarah and I told them a funny little story. So um, at work now, most places are on like a very hybrid remote type of work. And so I was at work one day and I thought I was by myself. <laughs> um, and just backtrack really quick. I had as you all know, I keep talking about the both and, the messy, the good. And I was in this space where I really felt like um, God was like, you just kind of need to go back to the basics and just worship me. And so when I thought I was alone, I had on some old school, probably if you know, um, like Kim Walker Smith, I think is her last name. And I was just really listening to it, getting into it. I thought I was in the suite by myself. And then when a song was over, I had a nice little knock on the door, <laughs> which made me jump at first. But um, uh, one of my coworkers there was like, hey, I have to ask you a question about an SOP, but real quick, what language was that that you're listening to? <laughs> and I think I looked so shocked and I was like, oh, <laughs> it's like, well, you know, it's worship music. And um, her response was, wait, are you like a, one of those people that, you know, speak in tongues? And I was all, not today. I haven't been. <laughs> so it like, first I was like, I messaged them and I was like, guys, I've been busted. <laughs> I've been, like, people know that I speak in tongues and that I listen to music like that. I think it was like the next day or two, we were having a Zoom or a WebEx Zoom meeting with people. And then that uh, employee also outed me then and was like, hey, you all, did you know Raylan like speaks in tongues? And I was like so panicked. And I, you know, I think I made a joke or laughed or just smiled. And they were like, no, no, it's really cool. It's different, but it's really cool. You do you. And I was like, great. I will. <laughs> but from that, though, a few people have continued to kind of come to me and talk about things. They're like, that music was really peaceful. Um, 
like talk to me more about it. We have questions. I'm frustrated at the church or I don't like church, like, but I want to talk about things. And most recently they reached out and they were like, Hey, some of the things that I don't like about the church, I was wondering if we could talk about. And I also know you, you know, do the church things and you sing and all that. Maybe I could play a guitar and we could do a like thing. And Sarah was like, Hey, they want to do like a little, they want to do church with you is what they're asking. And so, yeah, so that's my story of how I got outed at a, that I speak in tongues and listen to worship music at church. And yeah. I'm very expressive. So I think the panic on my face was more like, oh gosh, what part did they walk in on? <laughs> at one point. But apparently they were there for a while before they knocked. <laughs> right. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Raylan keeps telling me these stories that People want to talk about Jesus with her at work. And her, her window might be worship music. Her window might be praying in tongues. Her window, what it, whatever it is, they're now, now asking her, will you lead us in worship? We'll bring the guitar, you sing. Will you lead us in worship? I mean, what an opportunity. And Interestingly, she wasn't um, telling people about Jesus. She wasn't trying to give the gospel message. She wasn't trying to lay out the four spiritual laws. She was worshiping, cultivating a life of prayer and presence with God. And the officials, the coworkers saw it. Now there are days when it, there's resistance and that's why we all go, oh, Oh, they're going to tease me. Oh, they're going to, I mean, we've all, we've all experienced that. I talked with someone just yesterday who's like, it's so hard. They make fun of me and my choices. I'm like, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but we, and I don't get it. I don't understand it all. I don't understand how it works, but we're going to slip into Narnia. <laughs> the subway is going to come and we're going to go through the wardrobe and we live in a kingdom of heaven and righteousness, peace and joy and the Holy Spirit come when we're settled into that place. This week, I was reading Psalm 73 in my devotional. Man, if you guys were all reading my devotional, you'd realize I pretty much preach my devotionals on Sundays. <laughs> I thank God for my daily time with the Lord because that's when he ministers to me. My heart was heavy. And in Psalm 73, the psalmist is struggling. He, it's this, a psalm of Asaph. And Asaph is having a hard time. And I'm like, me too, Asaph, me too. I struggle. I've got burdens on my heart. My neighbor in the last 10 years has had three deaths, two very tragic in just 10 years. And her, her heart, her, she is just in pain. And I don't know how to, I do everything I can to love her, but she does not want anything to do with church. And so I'm like, Lord, you, Lord, you got to do it in her heart. Um, I have friends and family right here, right here within our midst battling illness. I, my heart aches for Ukraine. We've, I've been praying for Ukraine. And so this is a psalm that just really resonated with me. The psalmist is frustrated and says, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. 
for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Uh, could our worship team come back up, please, right now? Um, we're going to close with this psalm. My feet had slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. I envied the arrogant when I saw their prosperity. It's like they have no struggles. Everybody at work seems happy. They seem free from burdens. They're scoffing. They're making fun of me. Of course, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? If we only know what's really happening, right? But then the psalmist says, their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Their people, therefore, their people turn to them and they drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the most high have knowledge? It's like, Lord, why do I try to follow you? This seems in vain. The wicked are getting along just fine. I'm living a holy life. This seems like a waste of time. Are you really worth my devotion? That's, that's the enemy trying to get you to look back at the hearse, by the way, on the freeway. But aren't we tempted with those thoughts every moment? When I tried, now this is the verse I love. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. It feels oppressive when we, when we think, when we look at the past, when we look at death. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. The message version says it this way. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I saw the whole picture. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. I just want to close today encouraging us to embrace a resurrected life even in an unresurrected world to take note from Daniel, to resolve to guard your interior life, to trust and obey God, to get to the sanctuary, to turn the worship music on, to call a friend and say, let's pray right now, or to text a friend, I know you're in an important meeting, I'm praying for you right now. Get to that place that will help you stay and trust and obey. Get to the sanctuary, to the place of prayer and worship because our flesh and heart may fail, but God will be the strength of your life, strength of your heart, your portion, and he will take you into glory and bring you into hope and a future. So we're gonna finish with a song and then we'll wrap up with a prayer, but we'll just finish. Why don't we all stand and we'll finish with a song and then after that, I'll wrap up with a prayer. Good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. 
Remind us of those three times of day to check in with you, to be still before you, to pray, to worship, to put our face toward worship. Lord, I pray for people today who are um, tempted to look back at death, tempted to not get on the highway, tempted to, to stay back. Lord, we, we do, we say we want to embrace joy for mourning. We want to embrace the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of earth. Lord, help us, help us move forward. Help us get that shot of adrenaline in our veins and that backbone of trust and obedience. 
We want to move forward in you and forward in joy because we know you're good and we know you have plans for a future and a hope. So we just declare our trust in you today. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.